welcome to the Thriving in Midlife podcast. I'm Tamara Ortigal, your show host and midlife mentor. If you've been feeling a little restless lately and thinking about making some changes, you're not alone. Midlife has been affectionately called a second adolescence. This is a great time to possibly change careers, update your skills, develop some hobbies, travel to near and faraway places, move to a different city, or use your energy and creativity in ways that spark something new. If you are looking for inspiration, you're in the right place. My guests and I chat about what they're up to in their 50s and beyond, and the impact following their heart is having on their health, relationships, income potential, and so much more. I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to introduce my guest today. Dr. Monique Bratman is a board-certified OBGYN who goes above and beyond to treat her patients as a whole person, not just for their female concerns. I wish I had known her when several of my friends were going through pre- and postmenopausal issues and needed support. Now I'm grateful to be able to share her expertise with all of you. Dr. Bratman wears many hats. She guides and supports her patients on women's health issues, delivers babies, performs robotic surgeries, serves as the backup for a group of local midwives, and does religious circumcisions for her Jewish community. In this fascinating conversation, we talk about what sets her apart from her peers and how she stays energized so she can meet the many demands of her thriving practice. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Moselle. Hi, good morning. How are you, Tamara? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited for our conversation. I think um, your craft is so amazing and so important to um, women of all ages. And uh, I know people are going to learn a lot today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what inspired you to become an OBGYN. Interestingly, I have an older sister who is an OBGYN and she is 13 years older than I. So when she was in training, um, siblings do, we look up to our older siblings and I thought she was the greatest thing and everything that she did was the coolest thing. So I ended up going to the same residency program that she graduated out of um, simply because I used to spend some time with her and spend time in the office and um, just develop the same passion that she did for um, obstetrics and gynecology and women's health. Um, prior to my going to medical school and getting into residency, I started out as a labor and delivery nurse. So I went to nursing school and um, got a job on labor and delivery in a couple of county institutions, which was fantastic um, and has served me so well in being able to understand all facets of care in the hospital and out of the hospital and in women's health in general. So um, it was a fantastic segue into my medical school, residency training, and then um, attending SHIP afterwards. Yeah, I was reflecting recently on my own journey into motherhood. And um, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but my husband, Don, and I moved to Minnesota um, in time for me to have our first son. And we timed it perfectly that I would arrive and meet my gynecologist and then deliver, you know, probably a two-week window. And um, it didn't work out that way. We had a closing on a new home and it fell through. And I guess the stress and excitement um, put me into labor early. And so my journey in the middle of the night to the hospital was, you know, really frenetic. And I showed up 
and said, I think I'm in labor. I'm a new mom. And um, it was the nurses, you know, who just really comforted me. And um, the doctor showed up just in time for the actual delivery. So I think that whole team can be so important. And yeah, a lot of women will get really attached to their OB and, you know, hope and pray that they're there through the whole journey. But the reality is that um, you know, if you have good nurses, then it's okay for the doctor to show up at the last minute and do the final things. So it it's definitely out. a teamwork. It is definitely a teamwork that um, I depend upon them um, on me to be able to do each of our roles and being able to um, exactly like you said, make um, the parent feel and comfortable and well cared for in this very really tumultuous time. Um, and uh, it's a time of transition, right? Um, babies are born, but mothers get delivered. So they are delivered between a pregnant state and a non-pregnant state. And anytime there is a transition like that, um, it can always be very um, dangerous. And that feeling of being well cared for is so very important. Yeah. Yeah. I was very fortunate. And um, I had a, a seamless delivery Um I used a form of morphine so I could still feel the time when it came to push. And I think my recovery after was really fast. I only had to stay in the hospital for 24 hours and then I was released to go home um, to our, to our hotel room. But um, that's a different story. So, um, but everything worked out. So, yeah. So I know your training also, um, you know, had a unique path and you chose to go to OD school um, instead of MD school. So can you tell us a little bit about the differences between those two programs and why you chose the path you did? So I'm just going to correct you really quickly. It's a DO school. Oh, I, oh, I it's okay. I Thank I you. Actually, I actually read that yesterday in your email and I was like, Oh, I should correct her. Nah, it'll be fine. It's um, <laughs> it's a doctor of osteopathy. Um, and there are less medical schools that are DO schools in the U S um, than there are MD schools. Um, and so it is a path that's a little bit different. Um, it involves looking at the person and the patient first and the disease process as the patient affects the disease process versus an allopathic or traditional medicine. You tend to look at the disease first and how that affects the person. So it's a, it's a completely different holistic way of looking at medicine We are um, versed and trained in doing um, osteopathic manipulation. And the difference, one of the major differences in our training is that I start with in my very first semester of doing osteopathic manipulation. So it's a little bit like chiropractic manipulation, but it looks at the pathophysiology of the body and we do anatomy and pathophysiology. So it's much more in depth. So if you can find yourself a DO who does osteopathic manipulation, you found yourself a gold mine because that person can read your body and diagnose your issue um, based on your musculoskeletal system. Whereas if you go into MD school, then um, you will do your first two years of classes and not really even see a patient until year three. So the training is much different. Um, interestingly, you can finish medical school in one or other pathway and then choose a different pathway for residency. So because I wanted to be 
a surgeon, I went into obstetrics and gynecology and I chose an allopathic pathway. So I'm actually MD residency trained and DO medical school trained. Um, I think it gave me a really great sense of um, importance of both training pathways so that I can incorporate that in everything that I do. Yeah. And that leads me to another fascinating aspect of your professional life. And that is the surgery that you do. Um, so can you tell us about the work that you do with robotics? I am um, a champion of minimally invasive surgery. I trained to do robotic surgery a little years ago, and it has changed. Initially, it has changed the face of medicine um, and definitely has changed in my practice um, in ways that I, that I'm still finding out the ability to be able to abdominal surgery through a minimally invasive route, which is what the Da Vinci robot allows us to do, um, allows me to take care of people and do a major surgery and they go home the same day. So instead of having a large abdominal incision for their hysterectomy, for example, they have smaller, uh, stab wounds that are on their abdomen. Um, less than a centimeter wide. So I tell people they look like um, paper cuts by the time they're healed. They go home the same day and they're back at their activities by two weeks. So it's really been something that has changed the face of medicine and healthcare for the better. And um, it allows women to be able to do what they need to do to take care of themselves and still take care of their families and the rest of their lives because we tend to be so um, busy that a lot of us don't take time to take care of ourselves. So this has allowed more women to take better care of themselves um, in their um, general health and well-being. Mm -hmm. I've been very blessed to not have knock on wood any problems in that area, but I do have friends who have had a lot of issues and I think it takes them longer to get to the point of making a decision about which, you know, procedure to have, because prior, to, you know, times the, it sounded like terrifying, you know, the way that, that, um, the process was going to go and, oh, absolutely. and just large yeah. incisions, staying in the hospital for four to five days, being out for six weeks. Not a lot of people can do that, especially for, um, if it's a heavily indicated, that's, that tends to guide you easier, but if it's more of an elective procedure, um, that is life optimizing instead of health optimizing there, there, that makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it does sound like it's definitely easier to reconcile and um, move forward with making a choice that can really add vitality to your life. It also allows us to do much more complicated procedure through a minimally invasive route. So things that always encountered large abdominal incisions, now we can do them through small incisions and um, and you're out of the hospital the same day. It's really, it's really been an amazing facet of medicine. And um, I'm always looking at new ways to grow and, and keep it interesting. And this has been something that has really been, um, it's very attuned to my personality. So being able to take care of women and offer them something uh, with a minimally invasive approach has, has really satisfied. It's very satisfying. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think also, you know, your whole training and getting to the root cause of things. And, you know, I think the physical touch in healing is really important. And so I love that you're able to combine all those different, um, you know, technologies and nuances to your practice. I agree. 
Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another aspect is that you for many years have supported um, people who've chosen midwifery and, and supporting the midwives themselves and then the patients. So can you tell me a little bit about your interaction in that? So vein? for about 15 years, I've been the backup physician for the West Wives. What that means is the this group of midwives um, was uh, midwife owned. It's the only midwife owned uh, practice in this area of our country. Um, they are completely autonomous. They um, encourage the physiologic process of vaginal birth. They encourage water birth and um, and supporting the parent in being able to uh, allow their body to do what it's supposed to develop and do. When that process um, doesn't go as planned or needs a little bit of assistance, that's when they call to me. So I'm the person that will come in and um, help them perhaps do a forceps delivery. Or if it's necessary to do a cesarean section, I'm the person that they call upon to do that. So those are those. that's been my role in the past up until last December with the West Suburban Midwives. Uh, in the In the last six months, my husband and I purchased this practice because the owner wanted to retire. And we have supported now of the West Suburban Midwives, as well as I'm still the backup physician. So it's, um, it, it, it really goes in tune with everything that I um, value for women's health and parental health to be able to offer them uh, a physiologic process and a physiologic birth. And so it's, it's a very satisfying part of my practice to be able to, I, I am the person who can do a cesarean section within seven minutes, but um, if I can support her in allowing her body to do the process the way it's supposed to happen, it's, it's really, it's comforting and it's the way it's supposed to be. So um, you're, you're just kind of satisfying what, what the process is. Yeah, I know. Um, is Lamaze still the process that you use to help a woman prepare there are, for there this are journey? Several, there are several different methods. Um, there's Bradley method, there's Lamaze method. Um, childbirth educators are a huge part of, um, of supporting women through this process. So a doula is a labor support person who uh, is hired in addition to your traditional medical team or midwifery team to be there to support the parent in labor. And they are amazing in their suggestions and their education and their empowerment of women to be able to trust their body to do what it's supposed to do. So it this conversation that this is a team process. There are many facets of our team that people may not be aware of, but these childbirth educators are really key in that process as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's true. The body does know what to do, but um, you know, the um, anxiety can interfere with that. And so I think bringing your body back through the breath work and modalities like that can be so supportive. Absolutely. Fear of a process discomfort, fear of discomfort is, is really, um, can be guiding. And so it's fantastic that we have people that we can depend upon to educate ourselves, um, through again, this very tumultuous process. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Can you give me an example or two of some of your most interesting um, experiences guiding someone through pregnancy and delivery? So it, it's actually very cute. Um, I am example, and very recently um, with their preschool. I volunteered and spent a morning doing COVID testing on um, so that they could come into school and have their preschool celebration and enjoy their last week of school. And um, I walked out to the car to do a COVID test on a little boy. And the father looked at me from the front seat and he was masked. So I, could, I only get to see his eyeballs. And he goes, Dr. Brotman. And I said, hi. And he said, delivered not this child, but our oldest by forceps. And it was such an amazing experience. And he, and he like, to this conversation about how his wife is doing and how um, the older sibling was doing. And he was like, oh, you managed to be able to um, deliver us vaginally when it didn't look like that was going to happen. And, um, and it, that, we, that we were candidates for, but we, um, we trusted in you and the process turned out fantastic. And here's our second child. And um, we went to the West Suburban Midwives for them. It was a lovely and it was and very, and then maybe the following week, luckily she got pregnant again and she came in for a pregnancy evaluation and she's like, you were in our preschool. We see you where it's such, a, <laughs> it's such a wonderful ability to be able to live and work in the same town and listening to people tell me their stories because a lot of these stories are, they're wonderful for me and, but, but they are life-changing for that person. And so I have to tell you there, I can go on and on about stories that are special for me. Um, the fact that somebody can see me at the side of the road or doing a COVID test and be like, oh my God, you did this fantastic thing. This was amazing. And, um, and completely out of character, right? I'm, I'm not dressed for work. I'm just, I'm the volunteer at the temple today. Right. And so um, it was it was a very funny interaction and something that really put a smile on my face for the rest of the day. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, and it plays to your love for children and families, too, because your kids aren't young like that anymore. So, um, you know, that's so fabulous that you would go and volunteer there. And, yeah, I love it when, you know, you bump into somebody and it just sparks this old memory that is, you know, it's very sweet, very cherished. it's, It's very sweet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And then the temple is a huge part of your practice in some ways too. So tell us about the work that you do um, and the method that you use. So um, gosh, I grew up at the West Suburban Temple. My parents lived a block away. So, um, and I, it's, it's been like a second home to me and my religion has been something that I've, um, dependent, you know, have relied upon like most people do because organized religion is very important part of our lives um, throughout my life and has become um, something that I was able to be fortunate enough to incorporate in my work. So I am a person who's called a Mohelet, who is the female version of a Moyal that does, that performs religious circumcisions or Brit Milot. So at eight days, when the Jewish baby boy is, is um, ready for his Brit Milot, um, they contact me and I get, to, I get the privilege of coming to their homes um, or coming to the synagogue and really performing um, a procedure that I do and I've done for the last 22 years, which is a circumcision. But I get to add the piece of 
the religious portion of the service. Um, oftentimes I'm supported by the rabbi who will come in and do the baby naming. Um, but it has been a, a part of my, that's brought so much joy that um, I, it, I would tell you as a resident at Cook County, I would never imagine that I would be somebody going to somebody's house to do a surgical a religious ceremony, but I do. And it is, it's been such a fantastic part of my practice. Um, I initially started and thought, oh my gosh, this is probably something that I can do into retirement. And it has become so much more than that. Uh, my oldest, Benjamin, actually is um, very savvy with uh, the website. So created my website for it and, and him and I, and also very attuned to his religion, um, created my service together. Uh, and um, every time I have a bris, I get to call Ben and be like, I have bris today. And he goes, awesome. And he will encourage me. So it's it's been a very fantastic part of life. Yeah. Well, again, you know, something that we think of as being, you know, um, important, but maybe a little barbaric, you know, right. you have made it something that's, you know, special and, um, and ceremonial and your religion has, you know, uh, I guess been the, the, the basis for that. So I think that's really wonderful. And I'm sure that warms the hearts of the parents too, because, you know, in traditional medicine, we don't, we're not keyed into that that's happening. Right. Um, but because of your tradition and the, and the timing that you do it is a family affair. So. Yeah, it's been, it's heartwarming. That's a really good way to describe it. It's, it's been something that's, it's a special, I'm very fortunate and privileged to be able to do it. Yeah, that's really neat. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I love your, you have so many different facets of the way that you care for patients. So I'm sure every day is different. Which really, it, it's, there's, um, you, you can, well, woman, gynae exam or whatever. Um, every person has needs that conversation and has a different, uh, e even though they, they just need to come in for a pap smear, for example, they're still coming in because they have multitude of other issues that are going on. And I, I have medical students that rotate with me. And most of the comments that come at the end of the rotation is you, you are amazing at being able to draw out the real reason why they're coming. They're really not just coming for an annual exam. They're coming because they have other issues in, in, their, in their life that need to be explored and may not have the confidence to bring it up to their physician. So um, it, it's, but it's my ability to chatter and chat and just be able to draw that part out of the, in a conversation is, um, I think it's been, it's not only fantastically fun, it actually it helps me take care of my patients better. So it may take me longer throughout my day to get through the same number of patients that a, a, a colleague of mine will. Um, but it's so much more satisfying and um, helpful to people that I never mind. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, when someone spends just a few extra minutes with you and um, gives you the time to, you know, get get the words out, you right. know, it's sometimes possible. we can't get the words out. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that's always on my heart is what, when things go wrong. And so I recently did a podcast with a woman who had a stillbirth in her mid thirties. And, um, I know other people who have had the same and I'm wondering, um, how common that is. And if you can shed a little light on, you know, 
what causes it, what people could do, if anything, to prevent it, or if there's really nothing, it's just, you know, maybe you can tell us. What is so, this about? Yeah. Unfortunately, pregnancy loss occurs in almost 30% of us, or 30% of the time we all experience a pregnancy loss. Um, so much more painful further on in the pregnancy because you've had more time to attach to the pregnancy. So somebody who has a loss in the first 10 weeks, for example, has to grieve through the process and has to feel the loss and has to deal with however method we will deal with resolving of the pregnancy. Um, it has been two and a half months that you need to, that you've known or about known about this pregnancy. How much more painful is that when you have 30 weeks along and have to deal with something that you now have perhaps a name for or a vid vision of or um, accoutrements in the house, things that you're getting your house, your home ready for your baby. And all of a sudden there's no baby. Um, I will tell you that the risk of having, there's no numbers, but the risk of having a loss after you see cardiac activity reduces dramatically. Um, if that unfortunately happens to that person, typically it's because of an unknown reason. There's uh, testing can be done. Um, we can look at the cord. We can look at the, um, the fetus and see if there's any anomalies. Many times it can be because they have a chromosomal issue that's incompatible with life and just didn't get detected up until the unfortunate event happened. So those are reasons that that might happen but won't, but may help your grieving process. Um, at times it does, at times it doesn't, but it's, it's an, it's a cerebral thing. So you have to take in that information and, um, let it meld within your body and be able to grieve through your process. Thankfully, after 10 weeks or 12 weeks, those losses don't occur anywhere near as much as before that time. So a lot of us haven't, haven't, haven't had to deal with that situation. If that situation does occur, the following pregnancy can be treated a little bit differently in that more frequent testing can be done. Perhaps an amniocentesis can be done. So something a little bit more invasive, but underlying the um, chromosomal issues of the previous pregnancy and the current pregnancy can be looked at. So unfortunately, we've, we've all known somebody or I've had patients that have had this and had this event happen. And it's so very painful every single time um, that I'm involved in their grieving process. And, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to support them throughout that process and help them help them cope with the situation that's at hand. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very unfortunate thing. And it's one of the most unhappiest things that I ever have to deal with. But it's also the ability for that couple to be able to depend upon me is quite a privilege. And I really try my best to be able to give them the support that they're looking for, whatever it is that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, miscarriage is another thing. And you know, I guess that's really the, the beginning of that. But um, yeah, I I knew a lot of people who had miscarriages, you know, the first several times that they were pregnant. Um, I had two healthy boys and then a miscarriage. And um, 
I do remember it was maybe only at like 10 or 11 weeks. Um, but I was already attached to that baby, like you say. And, um, I remember I was very thin and my neighbor across the street goes, Oh my gosh, you don't even look pregnant. And it was so interesting. I'll never forget that because I must have miscarried already. And, um, so I wasn't growing anymore, but I didn't feel that in my body yet. Um, and, um, and I think it's also traumatic in the way it happens. I happened to have miscarried when we were on vacation with another family. And um, that was traumatic as well, because I knew it was happening, you know, because I was having some issues, you know, um, with bleeding and whatnot. But I remember not wanting to ruin the vacation for everyone. And so I didn't know how to deal with that myself, but also right. share it in a way that wouldn't, you know, really change the the temperature of the vacation that we were on and the energy around that. So um, yeah, it, I think, you know, these kinds of things happen and we have to figure out how to cope with them in the moment. And then, you know, there is a process of just trying to understand and let go of the grief that goes with that. Um, it, it is, it is one of the most challenging things to ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I also, you know, I wanted to get pregnant right away. Um, you know, I wanted to sort of fix the situation. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I also wonder, you know, if, um, do you guide people to maybe wait a little while and grieve first before attempting the next pregnancy or what, what advice do you give? It's always, it's always my practice to see um, people a couple weeks after the event happens, um, whether we resolve it with um, a small procedure or medication or just let it um, pass on its own. Um, I like to see the person within one to two weeks after to be able to guide them in, do they want birth control? Do they want another pregnancy? The current medical recommendation um, for your physical well-being is that you wait one normal cycle and then you can attempt to have a pregnancy again. The reality is, is that many of us are not really ready to do that just yet, but at least that gives a little bit of hope that I haven't told you, you need to wait six months before you can try getting pregnant again, because that can be devastating be devastating to a couple who really want a baby. And all of a sudden now I've, I've made them wait another half a year. Um, in addition to the time that they feel that like they have lost developing this current pregnancy. So it, it's really been um, a nice advance in medicine to be able to say the body is ready to physically handle another pregnancy within one normal cycle. And that hope is still there. And so you can't really squash that hope tomorrow that it was a wonderful option that you were able to say, Oh my gosh, I, I want to fix the problem. But really you were, you were, that was your way of helping yourself grieve. So being able proactive to be able to be proactive in your grieving was to say, I want to be pregnant again, which thank goodness you were, thank God, able to have another baby, um, and, uh, get another pregnancy that was successful. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been a recent change. I'll say in the last five years in medicine, that we can allow that, um, that couple to be able to try another pregnancy within a month. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I definitely um, was very fortunate to get pregnant again. And I feel very blessed to have had my third son. Um, I will say though, again, I guess maybe as I got older, my pregnancies got a little more unique. But um, when it came time for me to go into labor, I had a bloody show, which I had never had before either. And I wasn't educated that that was even a possibility. And so I did panic because I thought, oh my goodness, um, this exactly. reminds me of another painful time. So, right, right. Um, you know, 
uh, the labor was very fast. I think I had him within three hours. Um, so talk, talk to us a little bit about that, how common that is. And, you know, so I'll tell you, you're lucky you made it to the hospital. That's good. Or to your birthplace, right? Because <laughs> if you delivered within three hours, that was, um, might've been your husband doing it, but it's okay. You made it there. Thank God. <laughs> yes. Right? Where you had a provider there to help you. Um, the, are you asking me, is it how common it is to have a bloody show during labor? Yes. Yes. And is that, you know, you know, I guess, how can we help people be ready in case they, that happens and what to do to your point? Like I did feel it was an emergency. We went immediately, but I don't know that everybody would, you know, have the ability to get there fast enough. And what, what should we be doing <laughs> to so make sure we have a healthy birth? Towards, towards the end of your pregnancy, having a bloody show, uh, having a little bit of spotting is completely normal. Um, if it's, if it's bleeding, that's heavier than a period, that means you need to go to the hospital right away, but a little bit of spotting and you're starting contractions, um, as long as baby's moving fine, that can be a completely normal part of the process. I will tell people that or um, help people understand that the more educated you can be about your birth process, the um, more comfortable you're going to be with it. So um, having that doula or going to a childbirth education class is a really important part of being pregnant um, to help you get through that time that you may have a lot of questions for. Um, I tend to be a little bit out of the realm of normal in that almost everybody has my cell phone. So um, it was very interesting when you asked me to silence it before. I'm like, really can't because all of my patients have my phone number to be able to reach me in that time because I think that decreases their anxiety to say, oh, she's just a text away or she's just a phone call away. And people really don't ever abuse that, um, that ability for them to get a hold of me. Um, I don't get a whole lot of phone calls that are silly. I get most phone calls that, are, that I really want to know about, which is why I do it. The, um, the issue of a bloody show is a totally normal part of, of a pregnancy as long as labor is starting. So um, I like to give them reassurance that that's happening and this is an okay thing. And as long as baby's moving fine, labor can continue even at home if you want it to, um, if you're not ready to go into your provider. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Oh my goodness. Well, um, you are, you do go above and beyond. And I think your patients are very, very fortunate to have someone who's so committed and so accessible. Um, so I think that's wonderful. Um, so given all of that in your busy schedule, what are some lifestyle habits that you have that help you stay healthy so you can have this, you know, really wonderful, crazy life? Um, I love golf. So I met my husband on a golf course about 10 years ago, and we golf avidly. Um, I'll say I get, I get out at least once a week, if not more than that. Um, and it's our way of just being outdoors and walking around in nature and um, enjoying a sport that we sometimes are good at and sometimes are not, but we keep playing because it's a lot of fun. Uh, with activities that I do with my kids are, um, my youngest loves to golf with us and my oldest, uh, we tend to do things like hiking, rock climbing, camping. Um, and so we, they have very different personalities, but, um, they're fantastic each in their own right. And I spend my free time with them. Um, I was recently joking with my son in that my youngest son, I said, you know, 
we probably won't have um, the time to do a large European European vacation. Probably most of our vacations are going to be me visiting you guys at school. He goes, well, that's <laughs> so. <laughs> there you go. That's 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 what that's how I entertain myself. And they are. Um, I have a 23 year old who just finished his master's in electrical engineering at um, Northeastern in Boston. And we'll be starting work out there. So I'm going to take a week and go help him set up and we'll go hiking and relax and maybe some outdoor mountain climbing. Um, And uh, my youngest will be um, playing tennis all summer. So we'll be doing that and helping him, you know, hit balls quickly across or I'll be chasing the balls across the tennis court and he'll be hitting them at me. So um, that's usually that's that's usually what I do to unwind. Um, It is they are a fantastic source of entertainment and amusement and relaxation. So doing that, we have a lovely rooftop in our building that I love to go hang out in. And um, those are things that I typically tend to do um, after a busy stretch, which sometimes can be a couple of days during the week and sometimes can cover a weekend. But um, I really try hard to take care of myself so that I can be well with it to take care of my family and my patients. Yeah. Well, you do. You have a lot of energy. And um, I think when people meet you, because I, I recently was out with you, I, I think people are always amazed by um, how youthful you are and how you're able to juggle so many things at the same time. So thank you. Um, it's a it's lot working of- for you. <laughs> tell you, it's a lot. Um, I take joy in it. If, if it wasn't fun, that I wouldn't be doing it, right? If I had a lot of work to do. Um, but I really have passion in what I do. So I don't see it as drudgery of like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the office again. That's right. Um, I work three minutes away from where I live and um, it's really a pre- pleasure. So it's it's been, a, it's been a huge privilege to do what I'm able to do. Yeah. And tell everybody, um, you know, the various hospitals that you do deliver out of because you do have a, a variety. So I do... Um, uh, my office is at 715 Lake Street, so it's um, in Oak Park, and I do most of my work, the bulk of my work, out of West Suburban Medical Center. Um, most of my deliveries are there, and um, I operate there uh, almost every day. The um, other institution that I use is Hinsdale Hospital, so that's Amita Hinsdale, and I use that um, more so more so for my high-risk obstetrics because they have a level nursery that can handle very small babies. Um, For instance, if something happens in a pregnancy where she might unfortunately break her bag early in the pregnancy but not be ready to deliver, they will go hang out at Hinsdale and I'll deliver them there because their nursery can handle very small babies. Mm, That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share before we close? I don't think so. I think we had a lovely conversation. We talked about so many different things and it's been really a pleasure to do. Yeah. Well, I hope you're still delivering babies and helping new moms when my kids, uh, you know, in, you know, four or five years when maybe some of my kids might be ready. What a um, yeah. yeah, I know. But um, gosh, I'm so happy to be able to refer anyone to you because I think just the way that you, your presence and um, the way that you interact with people and the knowledge that you have is just amazing. So, gosh, this has been wonderful. And, um, you know, I hope people will uh, follow the links that I'll put in the podcast notes if they want to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tamara. This was, was a lovely conversation. 
Oh, you're very welcome. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you are looking for an expert in women's health, you will definitely want to reach out to Dr. Bratman. Be sure to check out the links in the podcast notes. There are great referrals to her websites, an article on robotics, and information on two products I personally recommend. First is my favorite whole food supplement, Juice Plus, fruits and veggies and berries in a capsule or a gummy, and the amazing Tower Garden for those who want to grow their own food aeroponically. Second is a phenomenal skincare line called Radical. It was developed by a renowned wound surgeon who understood which ingredients to put into the products and which ones to leave out. This consciously clean line is great for anyone concerned about aging or reducing inflammation in the skin. One of the co-founders suffered from rosacea. You will have to visit the website to see her before and after photos and how beautiful her skin is today after using Radical. If you like this podcast, please share it with someone you love. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to all of our episodes. Feel free to leave a comment so we can learn more about you. We are building a community where we can all learn together. Have a wonderful day. Be well.